Good morning, and welcome to episode three of season two of Tea Time Reports. This is Trevor. I'm here alone again. Um, we're going to have some more content dropping today. Uh, Rush will be on, Logan and Caden will be on. But uh, it's April 1st, new month. The year is moving by rather quickly, in my opinion. Uh, time in general just does that, especially when you're having fun. So today's discussion is going to be another movie analysis, film analysis episode. Um, I have three movies here that I want to talk about and uh, kind of dive in deep, I guess you can say. But the first film I'd love to talk about, and it's one of my favorites as of late, uh, it's called Uncut Gems. It was made in 2019, it's 135 minutes. The directors are the Safdie brothers, and then obviously Adam Sandler is the star of the film. And I'll just go ahead and kind of read off the, the summary of, of the movie here. This jolt of pure cinematic adrenaline affirmed directors Josh and Benny Safdie as heirs to the gritty, heightened realism of Martin Scorsese and John Cassavetes. Adam Sandler delivers an almost manacle embodied performance as Howard Ratner, a fast-talking New York jeweler and gambler in relentless pursuit of the next big score. When he comes into possession of a rare opal, it seems Howard's ship has finally come in. As long as he can stay one step ahead of a wife, Indina Menzel played by, who hates him, a mistress, Julia Fox, who can't quit him, and a frenzy of loan sharks and hitmen closing in on him, wrapping a vivid look at the old-school Jewish world of Manhattan's Diamond District within a kinetic thriller. Uncut Gems gives us one of the most, one of the great characters in modern cinema, a tragic hero of competing compulsions on a shoot-the-moon quest to transcend his destiny. I love that. Love how they wrote that. And uh, A24, Alira. Those were Lionsgate, some of the production companies. Um, I have the Criterion Collection, the hard copy. It's still sealed. Um, I don't think I'll open it. I, I don't know. I love this movie, and I've seen it twice. Um, and the one thing about this movie, it's, it's literally the entire time you're watching it, you're just like, what the fuck is he doing? What the fuck are you doing, bro? You are destroying yourself. And it's just all in this cause of, I guess, trying to get that next big score. Um, and that was his goal, was trying to make it out, I guess. But he never wanted to make it out. If you actually watch the film, his character was on a self-destructive path. And uh, nothing was really going for him. Even though it looked and seemed like it, nothing was going to go right. And uh, I love it. I love Adam Sandler in this. I think it might be his best performance of all time. Um, Punch Drunk Love is up there as well. In the early 2000s, he got nominated for an Oscar in that film. But personally, um, in 2019, I don't know if I can name a, a, a movie that was better than this one. I don't know if I can. I don't know how he didn't get at least nominated for an Oscar in this. It was sad. Because you could tell he legit tried. And it's funny because he was like, if I don't get an Oscar for this film, I'm going to make the worst movie ever made. And then Hubie Halloween followed shortly thereafter. Um, but Adam Sandler is one of the best of all time. Comedians are the best actors, best character actors at least. Um, 
always enjoyable with Adam Sandler. And this movie, if you have not seen Uncut Gems, you need to watch it. It's a little long, but genuinely it's worth it. Completely recommend watching Uncut Gems. Um, I've never really... I, I didn't know that they, the Safdie brothers were understudies to uh, Martin Scorsese. Because you can kind of see that that dialogue, that vibe throughout the whole movie. It's like a... Like they said, it's like a gritty film. It's street-leveled, and the characters are grounded, but written really well. Um, it's really realistic. It's, it's really realistic. I don't know. It's hard to explain unless you see it. You'll see how fucking good it is. But I completely recommend watching Uncut Gems. Um, one of my personal favorite movies in the last ten years, I think. Easily. Easily. Especially what's going to be coming out. Uh, <laughs> the next five, ten years. I don't know if we'll get movies like this anymore. I guess we'll have to see. Um, now, before I get into the next film, I would like to shout out Dale and his autom automotive cleaning service. His ins his information is on our Instagram, at Tea Time Reports, if you don't follow us on there. Give us a follow. Um, we post a lot of stuff on there, a lot of cool Tampa Bay sports-related stuff, and... Um, some cool places we've been, you know, Song of the Days, uh, sports news. I mean, if you want to kind of learn about what this show is about, definitely tune into our social media. And our Twitter is at Tea Time Reports as well. Um, that's strictly news and information on there. We try and be interactive, um, and we do appreciate all of our new listeners. Uh, every time we drop an episode, it seems like more people download and listen in, so that's greatly appreciated. Um, Shout out to our listeners in Nigeria, our listeners in Belgium. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. I had no idea how we were able to reach you through the airways, but uh, I'm glad we were. And I'm glad you uh, are tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the show. And if you guys ever do want to give us any feedback, uh, our social media platforms are our best way to do that. Uh, we have our email in there, so if you have any suggestions or Heck, maybe a, a better app to use for recording softwares or just stuff like that. Like, it's greatly appreciated and it won't be forgotten. Um, our email is ttime444 at yahoo.com. But moving forward, this is a slept-on movie, in my opinion. It didn't get any of the praise because it did come out after Saving Private Ryan. And that movie for war films is the standard. But this movie, I think it might be one of the most slept on war movies of all time. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about it. 1998 came out a year after Saving Private Ryan. We'll go ahead and read the summary here. The title, The Thin Red Line. If you've not seen this movie, please do. The Thin Red Line, after directing two of the most extraordinary movies of the 1970s, Badlands and Days of Heaven, American artist Terrence Malick disappeared from the film world for 20 years, only to resurface in 1998 with this visionary adaption of James Jones' 1962 novel about the World War II Battle of Guadalcanal. A big-budget, spectacularly-mounted epic the Thin Red Line is also one of the most deeply philosophical films ever released by a major Hollywood studio, a thought-provoking meditation on man, nature, and violence. Featuring a cast of contemporary cinema's finest actors, 
Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, Elias Cotius, and Woody Harrelson among them. The Thin Red Line is a... Oh gosh, this is a massive word. Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscopic. Evocation of the experience of combat that ranks as one of the greatest war films ever produced. I love that. I love that so much. Because this movie isn't filmed like a traditional film. There's groups of soldiers that you're tracking and following their stories. And it is something. Um, I cry when I watch this. I cry. I can't lie. The cinematography is absolutely outstanding. Um, when you watch a war movie, you get the assumption that it's just going to be explosions, gunfights, soldiers screaming at each other, blood, gore, knife fights, stuff like that. Just a thriller. Not this one. This one took a more artistic approach, if you will. It's been a year since I've seen it. This movie reminds me of Tigerland with Colin Farrell. I love this movie probably just as much as Saving Private Ryan because it does what Saving Private Ryan does. Not as good, but it does other things better. So in the Thin Red Line, while you're in the middle of a heated battle scene, like, the camera will fucking zoom in on a tree. Not like zoom in like in a stupid way, bro, but like, it's showing you what else had to survive these terrible battles? The grass blowing in the wind, the trees on fire, little beetles, a snake. It takes, it shows the setting. It shows the setting better than any other war movie I think I've ever seen. It shows the appreciation of nature and all living things. It shows the enemy's perspective as well to the American soldiers. Um, and it's just one of those movies where it's like, damn, this is going to mess up my head for a while. In a good way. It'll make you think. And I want to say that Sean Penn and Nick Nolte, damn. Good, just the performances in this. Well, you can tell it wasn't meant to make money. It wasn't meant to be a blockbuster. This was meant to tell a story. To show a story. And it does. It does both of those things so well. And I, I can only appreciate it. You know, because when I, when I found this, I think I was on Amazon Prime, just looking through a couple years ago, maybe six, seven years ago when I saw it originally, come across it and I'm like, okay, well, what's this going on? What's, what's this? Huh. Okay. I tune in and I fall in love with it immediately. Like, it's literally like, I think it was like a school night too. And uh, I stayed up almost all night watching this movie because I was just enthralled. I was captivated. I was there. I was in... I was in those battles. I felt like I was. And if a movie can make you think that, visualize that, imagine that, and captivate you like that, I think that's, uh, that's special. So if you have not seen The Thin Red Line, 1998, directed by Terrence Malick, who did, and this is another interesting thing about film, the film world, this man disappeared from film, the film world, for 20 years. He was popping in the 70s. He dipped. He was gone. He was like, you know what? I, I've used up my artistic ability, maybe. I want to focus elsewhere in life. He resurfaces 
20 years later, in 1998, to make this movie, that's like, I mean, that's special. I mean, for something to get a guy out of retirement, or get a guy inspired again, for a script to make him want to do this, it was special. It was special. It was a special movie, a special production, and a great story was able to be told. And I think that's important. I think you see freedom of speech utilized in storytelling so much. And if a, if a author or writers, script writers, or a production team for a show or a movie are afraid to let things be written, I'm not going to sit here and encourage, like, blasphemy in a sense not like in a religious way but like fucked up shit like legit like that's sinister they put that in there for a reason that was fucked up but i'm talking about you got to let a story be able to unfold naturally and organically and nowadays i feel like in film you just don't see that fluid storytelling because writers are just so afraid to piss people off jordan b peterson said it best to be able to think you have to risk being offensive. That is the truth. That's why some movies suck and some movies are awesome and just artistically masterpieces because of that right there. Not because of what Jordan B. Peterson said, although he worded it perfectly. It's the mindset of our artists because times change, people change. Society changes. The world changes. But in general, like, we shouldn't allow that to affect storytelling. If a story is waiting to be written, shown, visualized, and put on the screen or in a book, it should be. The right way, obviously. But we can't be afraid to hide realism and the dirt of the world because in film that's what it should be about grounding you to a to a story that you can relate to yeah there's Marvel and DC oh I fucking love those shits I love those movies I love the superheroes awesome love them too but they don't hold any value to me um, when it comes to storytelling it's all copy and paste it's all the same recipe but when you can get a movie like the movie I'm about to talk to you next I mean, this movie is a prime example of why I always bring up the quality of not only movie production, but the writing aspect, the storytelling. And through decades, you can tell differences in film. 80s was loose, crazy. I, it was crazy, but they made good shit. The 90s was the best decade of film, in my personal opinion. I don't think there will ever be a decade like the 90s. Things were artistic, they got gritty, actors and actresses were at, like, peaks of their, their celebrity, I, I, I guess, level. I mean, Quentin Tarantino started off, Christian Slater was doing his thing, Liam Neeson was emerging, Matt Damon, Leo, Johnny Depp, Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. I mean, that was, and they were all in their peak, their prime. And... The 2000s, they were good. Good films, good trilogies came out. Good blockbuster movies did come out. Matt Damon was on fire. Christian Bale was doing his thing. 
and then you get the 2010s, and you're like, okay, okay things are we're taking a little downgrade here. And then we're not. <laughs> Where it's Ant-Man 3 Quantumania, or... I love John Wick, but John Wick Chapter 4. It's just to the point where, like, everything is a franchise now. Everything is being milked dry. And I miss the genuine want to make something beautiful. Make a story so well that you can make your viewers, like, literally think that they're there. For that two hours, you're in the theater, the cinema, where you're on your couch at home with your lady, your kids, you're watching that movie, and it's a good movie. And you're there. You don't have your phone out. You're not getting up and down constantly because you're very captivated. Those are the special movies that I fucking love. That I genuinely am addicted to. That's why I have a massive collection. And now that I say that, I have a really cool amount of steelbooks. And I think I might start posting them on the IG on a little highlight reel. Maybe once a week. Um, but now that the buildup of this new movie... Not new, but this movie I'm going to talk about is done. I'd like to talk about this in a very deep way. This is probably my third favorite movie of all time. And that isn't like a slight by any means. I've seen a lot of movies. This movie is called Leon the Professional. This movie is one of the best movies ever made, and I don't care what anyone says. It's just the truth. Gary Oldman, um, Natalie Portman, Danny Aiello, uh, I, I, Jean Reno. I, the acting, I could talk about that for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. I could. And I want to talk about Gary Oldman's performance for sure before the episode runs to an end. Uh, I'm going to read this first, and then I want to kind of tell you why I've seen this movie so many times and why it only gets better for me every single time I watch it. I'm going to read the summary here. Okay. Jean Reno, Gary Oldman, Natalie Portman, and Danny Aiello star in Leon the Professional, a go-for-broke thriller about a professional assassin whose mark becomes dangerously personal, calling himself a cleaner. The mysterious Leon is New York's top hitman. When his next-door neighbors are murdered, Leon becomes the unwilling guardian of the family's sole survivor, 12-year-old Matilda. But Matilda doesn't just want protection, she wants revenge. Training her in, a, in the deadly tricks of his trade, Leon helps her track the, psych, the psychotic agent who murdered her family. From the electrifying opening to the fatal finale, Leon the Professional is a non-stop crescendo of action, suspense, and surprises. This movie, I'm glad they didn't like spoil anything. But it's just like that. It's a revenge story with like a protector, a guardian angel, a guy that was so cold that literally he had no personality. He was letting his, I guess, mob boss or boss, shot caller, own him, essentially. And his next-door neighbors get murdered, and he always looked out for this little girl, gave her food, milk, all that good stuff. And then he finds out the entire family is murdered. This 12-year-old girl is still alive. So he kind of breaks his, his mold, and he has to go on this journey to make sure she's safe, but make sure that he can change for the better himself. 
because he found something he never had before, which was not in a weird way by any means, but like a protective father figure type way, love. He wanted to protect something, not kill it. For the first time, probably in his consciousness, like since he was like an able-bodied teen. And obviously you know who the agent is. It's Gary Oldman. If you don't know who Gary Oldman is, I'd recommend just watching the Dark Knight trilogy. He played Detective Jim Gordon. He's been in The Third Hannibal. He's been in The Book of Eli. He's been in uh, True Romance. He's been in so many iconic films. He is one of my favorite actors of all time. He has, I, I think it might be one of my favorite performances of all time in this film. He's a deranged, drugged out detective slash agent crashing out left and right. No restraint. But he has like a fucked up sense of morality to him and it's weird because he's a psychopath and he's leading a team of cops i mean he goes insane uh this movie again it's the prime example of why storytelling and character development is so important and why you need good actors and actresses natalie portman is always amazing She's always amazing. I love her in this. I love her in V for Vendetta. I love her in Black Swan. Um, but this this movie is a standout for me, not only just because of Natalie Portman, but it honestly, it was just how it all came together. How all these performances added up into a phenomenal story with good storytelling, good cinematography, and creative fight scenes. It just wows me every time. Because I'm always in awe of Gary Oldman's character because he just takes you away. He takes you away in this movie and you can't take your eyes off of the screen. Like he, he captivates you so well. His character was not only just very well written, but he executed on his part of actually portraying this deranged sociopath in a way that you hate him, but you're also like, holy shit, this is Joker before he was the, the Joker on screen. Not saying Gary Oldman was the Joker, but I'm saying the characters, if you line his character up to Heath Ledger's Joker, they're kind of like similar in certain aspects, not the entire way through, but it's just the chaos aspect of, of his character. I, I just love it. I love it. And I think that if you haven't seen this, you're missing out. I think it's on Netflix, but Leon the Professional is one of my favorite movies of all time. All three of these movies are great, <laughs> great movies. Um, thoroughly recommend you watching all of them. It's, it's, it's not just about watching things that are recommended to you. What sounds interesting to you? What will keep you involved, enthralled, and captivated in the story, in the film? If you can't find anything interesting with those, I'm not going to force anyone to watch anything they don't want, and I don't think you should force yourself because that's what sours film to people. They'll watch so much of the same stuff, so much of the bad stuff in a sense, um, and they just don't really want to watch a movie, which I get because it, it's a time, you know, consuming hobby, but if you're able to find that or hear or listen to that thing that makes you very interested in it, um, I definitely recommend watching one of these if you're into uh, act, like action thriller films with like really good combat scenes, I'd recommend Leon the Professional. It's deeper than just that though. 
if you're into war movies with a grander scheme of things, with a more bird's eye perspective, watch The Thin Red Line. It is outstanding. If you want to see good, uh, good setting shots, good animal shots, nature shots, watch The Thin Red Line. If you want to learn about fucked up moral compasses and just a goddamn good story, watch Leon the Professional. Now, if you want to watch something that's just pure chaos, purely insane, makes you want to legitimately hit yourself in the head because of how this character will piss you off so much throughout the film based on his decision-making, is Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. I thoroughly recommend, if you haven't seen any of these movies, you should. Um, it's not just about, you know, saying you saw it just to see it, you know? It's not like a checklist type of thing. You'd have to want to watch film. If you don't want to watch film, you have no interest in it, then you're good. Don't waste your time. But if you are interested in stories, uh, journeys of characters you could potentially relate to, and stories that could even be real, I thoroughly recommend maybe checking out movies on your own. There's so many rabbit holes you can fall down and uh, find yourself looking like watching a movie about uh, the Aztec history or something. Aztec history or uh, the Egyptian history or Roman history. You could watch so many documentaries and, and, and uh, biopics of real people um, being adapted on screen. I mean, if you want to watch a good biopic, my favorite of the last, I guess, maybe 10, 15 years would be Vice with Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney, our former Vice President of the United States, who got a successful heart transplant. Um, that, uh, that, that's a story that's fucked, because you didn't realize how corrupt it was, but at the end of the day, it probably all is, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, that movie's really good. I want to go in depth on that one in a later episode, for sure. Actually, you know what? I might just do it now. Vice, I think it was 2012, Christian Bale, uh, Steve Carell is actually in it as well. A lot of great names in this film. It, this movie shows one of the most fucked up aspects of American politics, and honestly that administration. This guy was legitimately deciding to blow shit up across the pond in other countries, and then giving no-bid contracts to Halliburton, which he had stock and ownership in. So he was making millions off of decisions he was making in political office. Just corruption down the board. Christian Bale portrays Dick Cheney perfectly. Perfectly. I mean, if you're talking about a, a, one of the best actors regarding his physical, like, form. Like, if you, want, if you want Christian Bale to be 120, he'll be 120. If you want him to be 220 pounds, he'll be 220 pounds. If you want him to be 310, he'll be 310. He's so good at that. Watch American Hustle. Watch The Machinist. He's been in so many movies where he's had to lose weight or gain so much weight. In this, he's like, a, like an old, bald, balding politician. And he's a little obese. In this movie, it's just, it's perfectly executed. It's perfectly written. I think it's Adam uh, McKay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I might be. I just don't have the hard copy on me. It's on my shelf over there. I just don't want to get up and make too much noise. Um... But no, this movie, Steve Carell is also really good in it. It just shows the, I guess, like a blunt, harsh 
like adaptation to what was going on in American politics in the early 2000s. And it was it's messed up. If you haven't seen Vice, please do. It just shows how this man legitimately came from working on power lines to snaking and weaseling his way up the chain and becoming the vice president of the fucking United States. You need to know this man's story because, honestly, it could inspire anyone. Not, not his deeds or his actions, but how he came from working on a power line in Texas to having the determination to do what he wanted to do in life, and he was able to do it. Even though he did terrible things and is a, probably a terrible human being, you gotta, you gotta respect that grind of being able to just come from shit and get to the top, or near the top. And it was weird because in the film, Amy Adams plays his wife and she's like, I will not, I forget what her character says, but it's like, I will not be married to a disappointment. And like, he took that to fucking heart, bro. He took it to heart, literally, bro. I mean, he excelled and thrived in any way he could. I'm talking just backstabbing. I mean, he's a rat. Legit. If, if, you, if you've seen The Departed by now, another movie we've talked about on the show, it's literally, imagine all those characters in that movie in one character. That's literally Dick Cheney. <laughs> it's fucked up, but it's true. Just, we'll do anything to secure a position and gain advantage. <laughs> but, um, also, I'd like to definitely shout out um, Shady Sports Network on Twitter. It does a lot of good things over there. And a little, I guess, cap off for the episode. Shout out to the Showboats uniforms and the USFL. The USFL is 14 days away from starting, guys. Uh, you can pre-order jerseys now on their USFL shop. I'm so excited. I hope you guys are too. I hope you'll be tuning in. I'll be live tweeting. I'll be posting all about the games whenever I can. And I'm excited to uh, have the show like going parallel with the season. It's going to be interesting. But uh, we'll have an NFL uh, big board. Uh, Tea Time's big board for the NFL 2023 draft. We'll also be doing a uh, mock draft live on the show, um, on the podcast, I mean. And if you do want to listen to our sport, 100% sports show, it's on blogtalk.com every Tuesday, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, it's 100% sports, USFL, USL, MLS, UFC, uh Syria, uh, Premier League, all that kind of stuff, soccer, whatever you can imagine that's talked about on there. But, uh, yeah, no, the USFL is coming up here pretty shortly, and I'm so excited about it, but um, today we're going to have some some more episodes coming up. Like I said, that big board uh, for the NFL draft, as well as a mock draft, and then we'll have a, uh, a music episode, because Caden, uh, he listened to three albums the other day, so he's wanting to talk about music for sure. And then I think later tonight, um, I'm going to get Rush on and we're going to talk about uh, Nintendo and Pokemon because we've been on some uh, retro gaming lately. But I really appreciate everyone for tuning into this episode. Uh, happy April 1st. Stay safe and keep your head up. You know, life is uh, not supposed to be easy all the time, but you know what? It depends on who you are as a person. If you can keep going, keep moving forward. Keep doing what you gotta do. That's what's important. And I guess I'll uh, 
I'll leave it at that. Thanks for tuning in to episode three of season two of Tea Time Reports. Much appreciated, y'all. Take care.